morning. Welcome to Encounter Church. I'm so glad you are here today. First of all, congratulations. You have so far made it through this uh, Hunger Games that we're in the midst of, right? So the odds have been in your favor, or you at least overcome the odds when it was not in your favor. So congratulations if you're in the room. Um, for those who are joining us online, we're so glad you're here today. Um, we have had a kind of a, so much more of a shift to online recently, as you can probably imagine. Um, this past week was one of our biggest online numbers. And so um, just want to be cognizant. You'll see me doing this and this because I know so many of us who are sick right now, so many in the church family who are sick right now, and um, really are grateful that you are here, whether physically in this room or joining us online or throughout the week. Um, my name is Chris Causey. I'm the lead pastor. And um, just to, before we jump in, I want to tell you, we have, we've created an app, and it's going to be there for you to kind of give you a little bit of a backdrop of the passage we're going to be working through today. You can download it for free at EncounterChurch.com forward slash app, um, because I think this is one of those passages that you're going to want to memorize. So this is one of those passages you're going to want to take notes on, because it's going to be, I think, so helpful in this concept of chasing our purpose. Um, so uh, last fall, I had a guy's retreat where me and a group of guys were in Florida, and we're eating dinner, or lunch actually, and one of them says, hey, let's rent some jet skis, and which is something none of us had ever done. And so we're like, all right, that sounds great. So we, um, we find a place, we drive there, and we rent jet skis, and we show up, and you know, we're going through the pre-safety briefing. And, you know, I'm noticing as we're filling out our waiver, like, there's, like, a lot of um, releasing that we're doing. Like, from me, my future children, I mean, it's crazy. It's like, okay, it's almost like they expect that I'm going to die, and so they just want to get that out of the way on the front side as I'm filling this thing out. Then we get to the, like, we're finished the pre-pre-safety. Now we're at the pre-safety briefing, and a guy walks up, and he has a huge fish hook in his ear, and it's dangling down to here, and he's not wearing a shirt. And he's a guy that really probably should wear a shirt, and he starts to talk. And he's like, all right, guys, uh, some of you have probably, you know, tell me if you've ever rented a jet ski, and there's like, like one or two, and they're like, how many of you have never rented a jet ski before? And, you know, like the rest of us shoot our hands up, and he's like, all right, boys, let me tell you, you got pure power underneath you today. And we're like, oh, okay, this sounds fun. He's like, you're going to go out because we're in the, um, the Gulf area. And he's like, you're going to go out, and it's going to be awesome. And uh, he's going to have a lot of power. But there's some things you need to know. This machine can hurt you. And we're like, oh, okay, of course. He's like, so I don't want you boys trying to high-five each other as you're jumping waves or anything like that. I'm like, well, check. Wasn't planning on doing that anyway. Um, he's like, you need to know that this, these are called jet skis because they got jet engines. You know how jet engines work? They suck things in and they shoot them out really fast. And, um, and so we were like, okay, thank you. He's like, and now here's the thing you need to know, boys. You got holes that things weren't intended to go inside of. And jet skis, they got power, and they can shoot straight through those holes. And at that point, I kind of tensed up. I'm like, what just happened to me? <laughs> and he keeps moving. I'm like, would you like to talk more about whatever it is that you just said? He's like, boys, your rectum can't handle a jet ski. You know, we had a, it just happened just re recently. You know, rectum, dang near killed him. You know, and it's like, what is happening right now? So I think the guy's being funny. Because, again, like if you saw the character, you're like, this dude really is funny. You know, like those people who they should have been a stand-up comedian, but they're not. 
And so they're, they're working at a jet ski rental booth, and they're not wearing a shirt, and they don't work out, and they've got tattoos everywhere, and they have a fish hook hanging out of one side of their ear, and they keep making inappropriate jokes. You know that kind of guy? Well, that's that kind of guy. And um, so then we get on the jet ski for, like, the final safety briefing. And at this point, I'm like, this dude is ridiculous. I'm not even listening to him anymore. And then I look down, and there is this. Severe internal injuries can occur if water is forced into body cavities as a result of being near jet thrust nozzle. And I was like, holy crap. He was right. Like, this is a real struggle. So, like, of course, the rest of the day, I rode very, very calmly and never, ever got near that jet engine. But I was sitting there, and I was like, went on, you know, a tangential thing in my brain of, like, there is a sticker on this jet ski that's produced by, like, these are thousands of stickers. Like, this has happened a few times. And then I thought back to a conversation I had with a friend of mine who, um, one of his dear friends is a lawyer whose primary job is writing these stickers because of lawsuits. You know, like those, and it, it was kind of enlightening that oftentimes when you see a warning sticker, it's because it's been done before. Right? And so when you see something like eye contact warning for straightening irons, like don't put a straightening iron in strut, it's because some fool was doing something one day and decided, you know what, my eyelashes could benefit from a little bit of straightening. And then they try and they burn. Or, or you know, this one on the children's Benadryl that says drug facts, avoid alcoholic drinks, right? Be careful when driving a motor vehicle. If pregnant or breastfeeding, ask a professional before use. But this is children's Benadryl. These are real warning labels. I guess someone who is really wanting to drink and drive and do pregnant women things was like, you know what? Adult Benadryl, psh, out of pocket. But I bet that children's Benadryl, I could still take some and do all these other things that I really enjoy in life. Like it hit, it's like I'm sitting there, I'm like, this thing has actually done it. My favorite was... Um, Growing up, and my mom would have these kind of, like, hair dryers. Have you ever read hair dryer warnings? They're, like, ridiculous. And, like, this really actually happens. One says, never use while sleeping. Like, can you please tell me the story behind that label? Like, I'd like to meet the lawyer and be like, hey, can you double-click number 14 for me? Because I feel like there might be something interesting behind that warning label. Right? Or don't use in the bathtub or the shower. It, or, you know, or aerosol products, right? or don't smoke while pumping the gas. But then, like, stuff happens. The reality is that, like, stupid choices produce warning labels. But I actually think there's something a little bit more profound there than we realize. That if we're going to be people who actually chase purpose, we need to realize that actually all choices should have a warning label. There should be something that says caution. Decision and its impacts and, Im and effects are larger than they may appear. Right? All decisions, all choices should have some type of warning label stamped on them because of the power that choices have. Over the course of this series so far, we've looked at a series of kind of, we're drilling down further and further around this idea of chasing purpose and understanding you know, how that we gain hold of our lives, better decisions, fewer regrets, and, and to drive towards what you were created for in your life. 
And that one of the very practical opponents that is going to be at work either helping you or hindering you in chasing purpose is the power of choices. And fortunately for us, while no lawyers have come together to figure out how to slap on a warning label or a caution sticker for choices in general, um, God did a long time ago. In fact, Paul, who was one of the most prolific writers in the New Testament, one of Christianity's kind of most surprising and influential um, converts, when he was writing to a church in Galatia, really wanted them to understand, now you've had this transformation, now you've had this experience with Jesus, I want to help you know how to live out the wow of that good news. And so fortunately for us, in Galatians chapter 6, in just a few verses, he outlines what should be attached to every choice that you and I make for the rest of our life. And understanding this power, something that maybe some of you have heard before, but you never internalized it into some areas of your life, that there is a power attached to this. And what I want to do is Paul actually teases out more than just the principle. He, he gives us this fullness, this idea that there's actually laws that are governing and impacting and shaping your life and my life. All of us are living lives that have been impacted and shaped by what we're about to read. In Galatians 6, he says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. And the one who sows to please the spirit, from that spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So he's talking to a group of people who've been transformed and called up with the wow, and now it's kind of hard living out their faith. It's kind of hard making the right choices. And so he's wanting to, to bring to light this powerful force and encourage them and inspire them. So I want to give you three different principles, three different laws of the harvest that Paul uses in this agricultural metaphor. Um, the first one like that we have to understand is at the very beginning, and it's a subtle thing. Right? He says, do not deceive. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Now, growing up, I didn't have to go to a religious service to have heard that phrase before. A man reaps what he sows. Right? That, that was a fundamental kind of lesson if my mom had had a curriculum growing up that she was teaching me. It was around, son, your, your choices have power. That was a, a kind of a constant refrain in our household. But I think Paul gives us something that's really helpful. He leads with God cannot be mocked. And then immediately, immediately goes into this observation that a man reaps what he sows. The reason a man reaps what he sows, the reason a woman reaps what she sows is because God cannot be mocked. He's tying this principle to God's character. And that anchor brings this, this statement to a whole different level. This isn't one of those like after school specials where you learn to not hang out with bad people and not do bad things. This is like, no, God's reputation is at store, is at stake when you sow. And it's actually, it's one of the reasons that we can do life. No one, you know, farmers, farming would not work if you went out in your field and you planted wheat and you got weeds. Right? Like we take for granted the nature that what is in the seed is what's going to grow. And Paul's just saying, hey, you know what's 
kind of the unspoken given that you've never even thought about before, that you reap what you sow. If you plant a seed of wheat, you always 100%, not 99.9999999999. There is no Schrodinger's wave, occasion, wave equation. There is no like, like quantumness going on with seeds. A seed is a seed, and it always grows the exact same thing that it came from. He said, and this isn't just true of agriculture. This is true of our choices, too, our decisions, too. Um, so here's the first principle that Paul wants you to get. You reap what you sow. And that God's reputation is tied to the statement. His character is embedded in this principle. And that can either help you or that will hinder you. But it will never, ever be agnostic towards you. It will never, ever be apathetic towards you. This will shape your life. And like a good captain on a sailboat, you have to understand that the wind, if harnessed, can take you somewhere. And if you and I are going to be people who are going to begin to experience that life that we dream about, that we desire to see, to see the transformations in those areas of our life that we want to see, we have to start with this simple statement. Um, 20 years ago, uh, an Italian mobster named Giannani uh, took advantage of a really interesting moment in um, his prison sentence. You see, while at prison, they were filming a movie, and this scene from the scene of the show that they were doing had a lot of action and caused a little bit of chaos and, was, you know, all these things happening. And, and he, being someone who was convicted of murder, knew that he was going to be there a long time, saw a moment where he could kind of just disguise himself as an extra and walk straight out of prison. And for 20 years, he lived on the run. He uprooted his life. He moved from Rome, Sicily, to um, Spain. And like the FBI, the Italian agencies that were looking for him didn't give up. And what ultimately led to the breakthrough was this right here, which if you kind of vaguely recognize its format is a Google Map Street View. They had been doing some research and had a sense that perhaps this man had fled to Spain to the specific town. And as they're Googling addresses, trying to get an, uh, an awareness of the area, for where this guy could be, they notice this guy who was the fugitive who had left 20 years ago. And they're looking at it, and they're like, uh, I think that's him. They're like, there's no way that's the fugitive we're looking for. And so they dig into this place and realize that there used to be a, a restaurant there, and they go to the restaurant, and they start doing a little bit more research, and lo and behold, on the website, on a picture of the chef is a man standing beside him, and it's this guy. And Google Maps calls an Italian fugitive to get captured after 20 years of living on the run. And there's an element of things like this happen all the time, where it's like someone you know, it, just recently there was a guy who'd been living in Massachusetts who committed one of the few unsolved bank robberies, and it finally came out in the aftermath. 
There seems to be, if you've ever noticed, while there are injustices that happen in this world, there seems to be a bent towards justices playing out, even if it takes some time. And the reason that justice seems to be relentless in its pursuit is because it's rooted in the character and the nature of God. So if you sow a criminal action, you eventually reap that. And this man, living his life so freely that he had started to not believe that his choices had consequences to the point that he was able to stand on the side of a road in the middle of the open street and allow a car to drive by filled with like, I don't even know how many cameras recording everything in the moment. But that's not the only principle. Like that by itself is probably really helpful, but the reality is that you all know that. I know that. We know if we make bad choices, we get bad results. But actually embedded in that story is a little bit of what Paul's about to jump to that causes us to, to fall into that ditch where we don't see the power of choices. So he continues. He says, the, the one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. There's something that's going on here that's a very interesting dynamic. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, what does he reap? Destruction. For those who sow to please the spirit, what do they reap? Eternal life. There is a disproportionateness in this principle of the harvest, right? That you grow more than you sow. This little decision turns into this big thing. And this is one of the things that gets us in trouble. It's just one Oreo and chocolate milk on, on behalf of a friend, right? Like it's just, it's just one or two Amazon purchases. It's just one or two little snarky statements to your spouse. Like it's, just, it's just little small things. But you always grow more than you sow. And this dynamic, I think, is one of the big ones that trips us up. Um, in 2011, um, in this mall in Manchester, uh, England, little Liam Corcoran, was shopping with his mom. He was 11-year-old. And like many 11-year-olds, uh, started to get bored with shopping. You know, back when people used to do that regularly. In actual physical stores, there was these buildings that were made out of brick and there were items inside. It was on the computer screen. You know. Anyways, so like it was actually, you know, playing. I remember that growing up, right? Like you're walking through the stores and then stores had built in like, like really awesome like hide and seek chambers like in between the clothes you could like dive in and you couldn't be found so you're you know you and your brother could like have this amazing hide and seek game or you could give your your parents like cardiac arrest because all of a sudden you just disappeared and you were like I mean it's like some scene from a horror movie because you were right there and they turned around and then they right back and all of a sudden in the middle of the husky section you are gone and you are nowhere to be found and you just kind of slid right in between them short legs and them long waist, and no one knows that you're there. It's awesome, right? And so, like, Liam's mom thinks this is what just happened. So she begins to look for Liam. And she looks for Liam. After a few hours of looking for Liam and being unable to find him, she gets a phone call from the authorities saying, Hey, ma'am, we found your son. 
Oh my goodness, thank you. Where is he? Well, he's halfway between Manchester and Rome at about 35,000 feet up in the air. I'm sorry, what? Yes, your son is on an airplane halfway between here and Rome, Italy. Uh, okay. But don't worry, when he lands, we're going to keep him on the airplane. Then we're going to put him back on another airplane and fly him back to you. So, you know, by the end of the day, you should have your son back. Right? I, I, I like, as a parent, I would like simultaneously want to hug them and choke them at the same time. Right? You're like, what are you thinking? Oh, I'm so glad you are here. I'm going to kill you. Oh, I'm so glad you're still alive. Like, you, like the, the emotions this woman had to feel. So she gets him back, and she's like, how in the world did this happen? He said, well, Mom, I was walking. I was really bored. And as I walked away from you through the mall, I, can't, I found a bus ticket. And the bus ticket, I was thinking, I've never ridden a bus before. That'd be fun. So I walked onto the bus with the bus ticket. And then the bus dropped me off at Manchester Airport. And then I realized I had to pee. So I needed to pee. So I started wandering around the airport trying to use the bathroom. But then I realized the airport's really big, and I wasn't sure what to do. So I found a family, and I just started walking behind the family. And I just stuck with them. And I walked through security, walked through security again at the gate, walked onto the airplane, and I sat down. And it was only about halfway through the flight that some passengers started noticing an 11-year-old boy sitting by himself and started asking me questions. And it was like, oh, my goodness. Now, this is right before, by the way, this is kind of funny side note. This is right before the um, Olympics were being hosted in London. So this was kind of a big deal because this four-foot-eight-year-old kid had just exposed all of this, like, international security protocol policies and holes leading up to a major international event. So, like, the, the British government responded very heavily to <laughs> this incident, which is rightfully probably so. But what I loved about Liam's story, it was like Liam's story illustrates what happens with the power of choices and how a small choice turns into another small choice that turns into another small choice. And, and at some point, you look up and you're halfway to Rome. But you started off at a mall in Manchester. And, and we can all relate to that, right, where we started off doing one little tiny thing, one little tiny choice, and that one choice became two or three choices the flirting became a little bit more than flirting, right? The little bit of calories here turned into a lot of calories there. That little bit of a, a distance between you and your son turned into a lot of distance between you and your son. The disconnect with your spouse turned into a lot more of a disconnect with your spouse. And at no point in the journey do you see how big it's getting until it's too late. Because Why? Because you grow more than you sow. And I think it's really important to pause at that point and ask yourself the question, what are you growing right now? What are you growing in your life based on what you're sowing? Knowing that the choices you make are going to turn into larger consequences than what they look like. What potentially are you growing? Are you growing debt? In the way that you're consistently overspending what you're making? Are you growing financial security? 
because of the habits you're making right now? Are you growing a strong relationship with your children that's going to grow into an adult friendship? I mean, to be really honest with you, a lot of how I parent and think about parenting is, is r- through the lens of when my two kids are adults and they don't have to come home, will they want to come home? And I'm parenting with that end in mind. What are you growing based on what you're sowing? And that's a really powerful Powerful question that can save you heartbreak, that can save you from a divorce, that can save you from financial ruin, or that can encourage you to keep doing what you're doing and the choices you're making. But unless you are willing to pause and ask yourself that question, you're going to continue like Liam, finding yourself in the next place and the next place, and eventually one day looking up down the road and realizing you're halfway to Rome, and you never intended to be there. And that Paul gives us the final part of this passage at the end when he says, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. And this is the last principle that I think if the second part of the principle trips us up, this one completely derails us. And it's simply this, that you reap in a different season than you sow. Man, this is game-changing. If you can wrap your head around the power of these choices. Like when I spend time with teenagers, like just to be very honest with you, I am so glad I'm not a teenager right now. Like, Aren't you? Like I did stupid stuff when I was a teenager, and it was like not documented on the Internet. It was not forever like TikToked and Snapchatted and screenshot and Facebooked and Instagrammed and like shared and stuck in a digital record. But I think for teenagers today, this is like so critical because they are going to have to answer questions for future jobs 10, 15 years from now based on dumb things that they did that came to harvest in a different season than when they did it. It just, this honestly, it just makes me grateful that like, I grew up in a different generation. But this same principle is at work in my life, and it's at work in your life regardless of what the the area is. For teenagers, it may be the Internet. For you, it may be the Internet. For you, it, it may be your health. It may be relationships. It may be your faith. And that this principle can help us or hurt us unless we understand that you reap in a different season than when you sow. There is a disconnect with the time. There's a time delay that doesn't give you the instant feedback that we often kind of biologically are wired to receive. You put your hand on a stove and it burns you, you learn not to do it. But if you put your hand on a stove and it took 15 minutes to burn you, you probably wouldn't learn the lesson very quickly unless you realize this principle is at play. Now, yesterday we actually had an example of this, this dynamic playing out. I don't know if you saw this. I, I love this kind of stuff. This was actually from Tonga. An underwater volcano exploded yesterday. Um, this thing completely created an ash cloud. You could literally see it from space with space satellites. Um, the shock wave hit 40 miles away. You can like literally see this guy responding to it. He thinks he's watching something. This thing was 150 miles wide. It was 12 miles high. 
the lightning that was striking in the moment was 400,000 lightning strikes in an hour, which was never seen before. It was completely unprecedented. All of a sudden, in the aftermath of that huge explosion, tidal waves, tsunamis began to crash onto the shore of Tonga and the surrounding area, and then into Fiji. And then, like, this thing was so powerful that tens of thousands of miles away in the UK, they registered the shock wave. In Oregon, they registered the shock wave. In Alaska, they, they heard the boom, right? This thing eventually would continue to ripple out. And two fishermen off the coast of California yesterday were swept into the water and had to be rescued. Because of something that had happened thousands and thousands and thousands of miles away, hours and hours and hours separated from the moment and what happened. And working on the message and reading the news and simultaneously being such a nerd and kind of enthralled with the whole concept of volcanoes, which are just so cool in general, and I won't get into that. But, like, it's just, wow, this thing was such a great picture of the disconnect. Because if you're in California and you're reading the tsunami warning, you're like, and that volcano exploded in Tonga. Why do I need to be concerned? And yet you can look and you can see footage. It was a four-foot wave that eventually crested um, into some of the California coast. But there were boats that were sucked out because there was a lot more than just a wave when it comes to the ripple effects of this. There's strong undercurrents. There's unpredictable water responses. And so docks destroyed, and these two fishermen were sucked into the water and had to be rescued. And the reality is that, like, many of us are in this right now in our lives. We we are making these kind of choices. And we don't even realize that flashing in our heads, in our hearts, should be a warning of a tsunami that's coming. Some of us are engaged in decisions right now that we have no clue what it's going to do to our household in 5, 10, 15 years. Some of us are making decisions with our health. Some of us are making decisions in our faith. Some of us are making decisions in our finances, and we have no clue of the wave that is eventually going to wash up on shore and what's going to take away. Because this principle is the reason why no one ever stands at the altar and says, I can't wait to hate you one day. Because they live with the disconnect of the decisions today and the impact tomorrow. Because you reap in a different season than you sow. And so here's a really good statement reflection for you as you're thinking. A year from now, here's what I know about all of us. You will wish you had started or stopped something today. A year from now, you'll say, man, I wish I'd filled in the blank. A year from now, you're like, man, I wish I had stopped filling the blank. If you're being honest with yourself, a year from now, what do you wish you'd done? Because that's the type of frame that you've got to think about when you think about the choices in your life. Maybe it's 10 years. For some of you, I'm not a financial advisor, but it's called retirement. Maybe that's not a 5, 10, 15, maybe that's a 30-year thing for you. But what in 40 years are you going to wish you'd started today? As a parent, that's a, based on current statistics, they move out, what, like age 38 now? So, like, so you, you've got a little bit of a window, but you need to be reflecting on what's that time frame. 
What do you wish you had started today in light of that day? Because it's working there. It's going to help you or it's going to hinder you. And that if you and I are going to chase purpose, we have to grab hold of this principle that is at play in our life every single day, this principle of the harvest, that you'll reap what you sow, that you will grow more than you will sow, and that you will reap in a different season than when you sow. So um, this past week, all kinds of like, I'm like your news update today for whatever reason, okay? So you're welcome. You don't have to read the newspaper this week. Um, so actually two world records were broken this week by a, game name, a guy named Alex Sorkin. Um, he um, did this in a sport that quite honestly I did not know existed until this week. Um, it was called the Spartanian or whatever that word is. Uh, it is a 12-hour race. And this is one of the world's best competitors in that arena. And what he did is he ran 100 miles at six-and-a-half-minute pace. Okay? That's 100 miles at a a six-and-a-half-minute mile pace. So that's a record. But then he decides in the course of running that mathematically to break another record which was the farthest distance a known human has ever run in 12 hours, which was about 110 miles in 12 hours, right? What's fascinating about his story is that he's 40. When he was 31, he looked in the mirror, and he um, was consuming way too much alcohol, smoking way too many cigarettes, and eating way too much junk food, and was way too big. And he was looking in the mirror one day and he realized, I'm destroying myself. If I don't make some changes, it's not going to be good. So he starts running at 31. Now, if he was sitting in here today, which would be me, so I'm here to go ahead and preemptively declare my 2035 ultra marathon, ultra running championship. Okay, I want to help you. So I'm going to have preemptively declare that. I'll be signing autographs afterwards if you want to get that. But, like, the dude essentially looked like me. No one's ever going to look at me and be like, I bet that dude's going to run 100 miles at six-and-a-half-minute pace one day. No. You know what? Like, nobody's saying that about anybody. And yet, at 31, he decides he's going to start to run. And nine years later, he is the most preeminent long-distance runner on planet Earth. Why? Because he started planting seeds nine years ago that are just now starting to come fruition today. Like, and this is actually encouraging. Because when I sit down with people who are walking through a difficult time, oftentimes what's discouraging them in the moment is they are living in a previous season's harvest. Right? It's finally hit them. Their marriage is falling apart. They're being crushed by debt. They're trapped in an addiction. They're stuck in a dead-end job. They're in a harvest of choices they made years ago. And they're looking around, and they're finally having to come to face-to-face with what they have, and it's heartbreaking to them. And the thing that can happen is they decide, oh, 
I'm done with this. I never want to do this again. So what do they do? They start sowing. They start doing new habits and new decisions and making new choices in their life. But they're still walking through the harvest of a previous season. So the marriage is still struggling. They're still $30,000 in debt. They're still enslaved to the thing that they've enslaved themselves to. They're still trapped and bound in that dead-end job. And it doesn't on the surface look like anything's happening. But because if you want to see a fruit in the future season, you've got to lay a root today. And what happens is we don't, we, all we see is the fruit of that previous season staring at us. And we do just a little bit of work and we look around and we're like, this is never going to change. It's never going to make a difference. It's never going to happen. I'm never going to get there. My relationship with my kids will never be restored. I'll never be strong in my faith. And we get discouraged by that. And what we don't realize that Paul points out is it? let us not become weary in doing good, for at a proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We think there is nothing happening because we can see no fruit. And what's really happening is there are seeds that are turning and sprouting roots growing underneath our feet with new habits and new decisions and new choices. You didn't get to where you got in a day and you will not get out of where you are in a day. But you can get out of it in a year or maybe nine years or maybe five years. But you've got to stay focused the same reason you are discouraged can actually be the same reason you can be encouraged. Because God's reputation is at stake. The reason you are walking through the difficult place you are in right now is because you sowed seed that grew and grew into the harvest that you're walking through now. And there can be a new harvest for you. There can be a new freshness to the relationship to your life purpose to fill in the blank you can move into that season into that harvest but you got to walk through this one you got to keep moving in the one you are in to get to the other side I think so often many of us stop on the precipice of breakthrough because we decide to break down and I think that so much of breakthrough happens because we just don't stop moving. I mean, I've seen this play out in, in the story of the church in the last two years. Like, when you go back a year and a half ago, I was in that corner back there weeping, thinking this thing was going to shut down. I mean, legitimately on my knees crying because I was like, God, I don't think this is going to make it. And now, today, coming into this year, I've never been more excited about this church. I've never been more thrilled about what we're working on right now and where we're headed and what we're building and what God's doing. I was able to sit with a, another church yesterday who's wrestling through whether or not they're going to close the doors. And I, I had vision and I had excitement so much inside of me. I could have it for them too because of what I believe God can do through here. Because it's so easy to get wrapped up, right? So there's this like craziness of, this tendency to just look around and instead of looking up and say, you know what, the character of God that 
that takes seeds and grows them and reaps what we sow, that same God is still at work. And the God's character and faithfulness that produced this fruit from that root can do it again in this season, in this one, in this seed, in this choice I'm making. And Paul's like, don't give up. Don't get weary. You didn't come this far to come this far. You didn't do all the work of weeping and sweating and planting seed just to walk away from the field. He's not done. And you're not done either. Keep moving forward. Don't give up. Don't give out because there's a harvest. And this week, Wednesday, I'm going to send out uh, the two things I've been talking about for the last few weeks. Because of COVID, I delayed it because so many people have been sick and I wanted to make sure everyone has an opportunity because both are limited. Um, but Wednesday, 8 p.m. this week, I'm going to send out an invitation. First 12 people who respond um, to the life planning will be a part of a group that's going to journey with me where I'm going to help you kind of uncover your life purpose. Really bold statement. I recognize that. But I've seen it. I've experienced it in my own life and um, really excited for that process. But I'm only going to take the first group of 12 people through. So Wednesday at 8 p.m., we're going to send out an email. And if you've never gotten an email from us, okay, you're not getting an email, I want you to make sure you do that today. For some of you, you want to see fruit in your, your, your faith journey. That can happen through the 112, through some of the spiritual growth courses that are going to come out of that. That there are opportunities this year that we want to help you in the spring to grow. And so I'm going to send out some resources this week. I'm going to point you to some books that if you want to go deeper in some of these principles, Wednesday at 8 p.m. through this email. Because I believe that this can be a year of destiny where you and I seize and grab a hold of things that we have never even imagined God could do through our lives. And that we finally look up and look around and say, I don't want this harvest, I want a different one. And if that's where you are, then I want to invite you into that journey as we begin to chase purpose. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. I pray that in our hearts and our minds and our souls that we would declare, yes, I will follow you, Jesus. Yes, I will pursue you in this moment, in this place. Yes, I will not be discouraged in the harvest that I'm walking through, but I'll be encouraged by the harvest that you could bring me to. And so inspire us today in our relationships, in our finances, in our faith, in our professional places, in our struggles, God, Speak to us and give us a bold, resolute confidence to say, yes, I will. And it's in your name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen. So today we're going to close up with a, a, a song.